I don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old-timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full-grown by now. Stalking. Stealing what he needs. Living off wild animals and vegetation. Some folks claim they've even seen him. Right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that... Friday the 13th. She claims she saw him. She disappeared two months later. Vanished. Blood was everywhere. No one knows what happened to her. Legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded that night. And that he took his revenge. Revenge that he'll continue to seek if anyone ever enters his wilderness again. And by now, I guess you all know, we're the first to return here. Five years, five long years, he's been dormant. And he's hungry. Jason's out there. Always on the prowl for intruders. Ready to kill. Ready to devour. Thirsty for young blood. Okay, from Camp Crystal Lake all the way to the great reaches of outer space. Our boy, Jason Voorhees, has has traveled around the world and then some. And as part of our 40th anniversary special series, starting right now, your friends with benefits, I'm Chris. I'm also Chris. And we have, for this this special series, we have a, a, a special friend with benefits joining us today. And throughout this journey, we have our friend, Commander Scott. I'm not Chris. No. No. Yeah, no. You are an honorary Chris for this this series. I I appreciate the honorary Chris status. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, See, uh, we have had interviews with other Chris's before, so we've had three Chris's on at once, which was a, a, a fun time. But uh, it's it's Chris, Chris, and Scott bringing you our 13-week look into the Friday the 13th franchise. And we're starting it out 1980 with this, the original Friday the 13th. And kind of how we're going to break it down is we've got some categories that we're going to look into. We're going to discuss what we liked, what we didn't like about each each category, uh, give each movie a review. We're going to kind of bring up some stuff that, uh, you know, as we have watched each of these movies, we're going to uh, bring up any notes that we have about all these. Just kind of discuss each movie in its entirety, 
as a movie in the Friday the 13th franchise, in a movie just in general, our lasting impressions, and just, you know, a look back on this historic horror franchise. So, first, a little background of part one, or as it was released just Friday the 13th, 1980, uh, originally developed uh, as a, uh, if you're familiar with football, they ran the hurry up on this one. Uh, it was hastily thrown together as a ripoff of Halloween that has been uh, admitted quite a bit. Uh, if you've never seen, um, there's two movies that you should see for all of the background that you need to know about Friday the 13th. Uh, one of them being the previous uh, Sean Cunningham movie, Together, which is basically a glorified porno. All right, into it. Uh, it was it was a porno that was disguised as a uh, what they called a marital instruction video, so that they could release it in theaters. Uh, but it's basically a glorified porn. Uh, so watch Together. And then watch uh, a movie called, it, you'll, you'll find it under one of two names. It's either called uh, Twinge of the Death Nerve or A Bay of Blood. And if you watch that, you will see several instances where Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th Part 2 shamelessly stole uh, to create other scenes uh, that we would see in the first two Friday the 13th movies. Um, I recently, as of like a month ago, uh, saw Twinge of the Death Nerve for the first time. Uh, we'll get to, in part two, we'll get to some of the more heavy-handed quote-unquote references uh, that they shamelessly stole uh, to make some some interesting kills uh but those two are to kind of to lay the groundwork of where sean cunningham's career was at that time uh and a movie that heavily heavily influenced friday the 13th that gets you a good base level um Everybody's probably heard the Variety magazine story where they took out a full-page ad of just the logo, the, the Friday the 13th logo, and it said the scariest movie ever made, which got them the funding uh, to help actually make Friday the 13th because uh, at that point, literally, all they had was a title. Um, Victor Miller, dear friend of the show, Victor Miller, um who respectfully declined the invitation to join us on this episode um, due to pending, well due to the uh, the litigation around um, around the who owns the rights to Friday the thirteenth which has been a a legal battle that has stretched several years um, and so, because um, he was hired to to write what was originally called A Long Day at Camp Blood, which became Friday the 13th. Uh, I completely and totally agree with him. When we get to um, a part about uh, the characters, um, I will tell you why. A part that I agree with Victor Miller on completely. But 
There are hundreds and hundreds of hours of the making of Friday the 13th uh, and how it came to be, so I don't really want to drag down a lot of the behind the scenes. As we go through the other movies, we're going to go through a little bit of the behind the scenes production because um, some of the some of the sequels have some interesting tidbits that not a lot of people uh, are aware of. Uh, just wait till we get to the back half. Oh, oh God. Uh, but only we'll to your back half. Oh, it's any time. Um, the, the original has a long and storied history. Um, you know how Betsy Palmer got involved, uh, where her car was breaking down and it was going to cost $10,000 to fix it. Uh, and she got offered 10 days of shooting on this movie for a thousand dollars a day. So she felt like it was God's way of telling her to do this movie. Uh, she then denounced the movie for a really long time. Uh, I think it was, was it Siskel or was it Ebert that posted her address in the paper, uh, that said, if you, if you are offended by this movie, write her and then posted her home address. Uh, which was like a, a huge, that seems kind of like a dick move. Yeah, it was, it was, a uh, it was, uh, very controversial at the time. Uh, not very nice, but, uh, so a lot of controversy around it. She later came around, uh, after seeing all the, the fan, the fan love. Um, there's also a lot of cast members who are dead, uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, but the, the epitome of guerrilla filmmaking, um, directed by Sean Cunningham, um, based on, you know, the, uh, the movie, you know, we've all recently watched it to prep for this. Uh, our first category that we're going to, uh, take an in-depth look at is the production value of this film. Uh, one of the notes I had was obviously very low budget, but... Being low budget, I feel, lends itself well to the camp setting where everything was kind of like dirty, unkempt, um, you know, just kind of in disarray. But in a summer camp setting where the outdoors is dirty, uh, it kind of lends itself well. It kind of seems like it fits. Yeah, I mean, for... The best comparison I can make is, like, I, I love early albums from bands I enjoy because they sound rougher. Yeah. And, like, watching this movie feels like you're listening to a rough album. Like, the production value, it's it's not great, but, like, it adds to the movie almost. You know what I'm saying? Well, the camp kind of becomes its own character with yeah, like all of sure. the all of the kind of dingy cabins and you know the um, uh, the the, the boathouse like uh, by the lake. The lake is its kind of own character at one point. So having that kind of dinginess does add quite a bit to it, and I think kind of lends itself in a positive way that you can tell later on in the some of the later sequels when they have more of a budget and everything looks kind of polished and shiny that I think it kind of takes away from the camp setting because I hate camping because 
I think it's the worst. It's dirty. It's gross. I hate pretending to be poor. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's not a fun activity for me. And the first movie kind of has that kind of grungy, dingy feeling to it by watching it. Cause it's like, it, it seems kind of dirty. If that makes sense. And, uh, Scott, I know I'm a huge Friday, the 13th fan. Koran, I know you're a hit or miss big Friday 13th, the 13th fan. I know depending on the movie, you're either really a fan or really not. Scott, I know you're not really a, a big, big Friday, the 13th fan, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on the show and talk with us, um, and kind of give your opinion on stuff as we go through each movie. What are your thoughts on the production value? Well, first of all, I want to, I want to preface and say I, I don't dislike Friday the Thirteenth. It's just not one of my, you know, favorites when it when it when it comes to the the horror franchises and stuff. Um, but you know, as I was watching the movie, um, it is low budget, of course. We know that, and and you can definitely feel it. Um, uh, as far as Everybody, all the actors and stuff in it, even though they were completely unknowns at the time, uh, were able uh, to to hold your interest. So the 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 acting was was very very well done. But when I was watching it, this was only my second time ever watching this movie in its entirety, and uh, I was noticing a lot of uh, things that I, I didn't notice the first time I watched it, like. Uh, when uh, uh, I think is is Brenda the the one that gets killed first, the very first lady she gets her throat cut in the in the the woods there at the beginning. I uh, think that's really and anyway that one. I believe that's Annie. Uh, I think that's Annie the cook. Oh, okay, Annie. Well, whichever one. Brenda's um, the one who gets killed um, when Mrs. Voorhees throws her voice and gets her uh, uh, at the archery range. Oh yes, that was my least favorite kill of the movie. But anyway, but no, when when when, I, when when she gets her throat cut, you know, I'm sitting there watching it, and I, I can clearly clearly see the outline of the blood packet that's underneath oh, the fake skin. We'll get there under under gore and kill effects. Um, <laughs> you know, I have, but as I have far as production value is what I'm saying is is I look at this and I watch it and I'm like, oh wow, this this is like almost. Uh, fan film type stuff here, you know. Well, this, 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 one, this one is definitely one that the better quality you watch it in, the worse it looks that way. Uh, because, like, the DVDs, you don't see that stuff. Like, in, ah. the, in, in the standard definition, you don't. Yeah. In the HD, like in the, with the Blu-ray, that was everybody's big issue with the Blu-ray was you see the discoloration um, in all of the, the makeup effects. Um, like you see it, and it's it's so clear that way. Yes. Um, yeah, so that, and that's I, I watched it on Blu-ray, so – um, so yeah, I can, I can see all that. I, and now it makes me, and I understand that watching it in higher def, this was not filmed right. for this higher definition. Um, but it makes me want to watch it in 4k now. Oh God. I, 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 I want to see. I mean, I would buy it in 4k because it's, it's, uh, it's one of my, it, like I, I put Friday the 13th, this movie, uh, and I'm spoiling towards the end of the episode. Uh, it's one of my top five movies of all time. Um, this movie. And I would buy it in 
every format that I, that I, that they have available. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, um, it's very obvious. The higher the definition you watch it, the worse that stuff looks. Um, it's just like, and that was the first, like some people's skin at that point, like it looks green. Um, like when, when you, when you see like where the, the, the special gore effects are, um, it looks, it looks not good. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I actually made a note of that, uh, in gore effects. Um, um, it says still effective, but HD shows off color issues is what I wrote. Um, so yeah, you can personally, I, I, I didn't have any issues with coloration when I watched my Blu-ray copy last night. I mean, you I could definitely tell like a, a tonal difference between yeah. the fake parts and the real parts. Um, I didn't get anything coming out green though. It the was Kevin still Bacon similar. one. The Kevin Bacon one is I think the most obvious, uh, mm-hmm. just cause it's his whole body except for his face. Except for his face, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that one's the most. We'll get to that under uh, gore effects and kills. Um, you did make a really good. Uh, you you made a a statement that I completely agree with, but in a for a different reason. Uh, <laughs> okay. You said that you've only this this when you watched the movie for this, it was only the second time that you've ever seen the movie. Yes. Uh, wow. Like watching this movie for this was like the. 4,000 and second time that I've watched this movie. (laughs) Um, but now like for this, I watched it and I'm I'm like, I know what's coming. I know like the story beats and all that stuff. So I'm looking and listening for other things. Like I'm looking in the background now and I'm looking at all this other stuff. So like, like you said, you, you saw stuff that you had hadn't seen before. I was the same way. Like I picked up on other things. Uh, like for instance, um, unless anyone's got anything else about production value, no. um, we will move on to our second category, um, which, um, we, we call, we, we have a special name for it. It's the music part. And um, the one thing that I noticed on this on this um, this watch through is the the song that's playing at the gas station where um, where uh, Alice goes to get a ride from Enos. That song that's playing in that gas station is the same song that's playing at the diner later. Hmm. Uh, and I figure I found out it's the literally the only licensed song that they paid for. Yeah. So they oh, used they went the they, they used, went the ghost ship route. Yeah. So they used it twice. It's a different it's a different version, but it's the same song. Hmm. Um, one of them is a one one of them is uh, is noted in the soundtrack as the female vocals, even though they both sound like female vocals to me. I don't know. Um, but I like. See- Go ahead. Sorry. See, now it seems to me like if you're gonna if you're gonna license one song and use it in two different scenes like this, 
one at the gas station, then again at the diner in the, in the same town, literally minutes apart from each other. Personally, I, I would just start the beginning of the song at the, the one and the end of the song at the diner. And then it's just, they're just listening to the same radio station. Yeah. It's, it's literally the same song. You don't even have to switch it up. Because uh, one of the things that I love about this movie is the music. Yeah. Or I should say the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the score is fantastic. By the way, the song is called uh, Sail Away Tiny Sparrow, in case you're playing along at home. Um, but, uh, you know, you're right. Like, there's a, there's a, a lack of music except for the high points of the Harry Manfredini score that, that kick in at the exact right moments. But most of the movie is just natural sound. Yes. And I love that. Cause I, I think movies overutilize score and music too much. There's, there's there's too much in the background. Personally, I don't hear music most of the time. Like you, you sit down and let me watch a movie. I, I give you an idea. I give you an example. Um, uh, let's say a, a movie I've seen, you know, uh, hundreds of times. Um, we were soldiers or something. Uh-huh. Seen the movie, you know, dozens, hundreds of times, whatever. I could not tell you one song that's in that movie, uh, uh, with the exception of. Uh, well, I know the, the, the song, there's one song that plays, but once again, I don't know the name of it. But beyond that one song, I don't know any other music because I don't hear it and I don't know why, but I don't. What do you like? You smell it instead? How do you take it? No, 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 no. I mean, I hear it physically, <laughs> okay. but I, I, I have no memory retention okay. Okay. of music and things. Like it just doesn't register with you. It doesn't register okay. with me. I gotcha. Um, so the music with this one registers with me. Because it's 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 poignant to what I'm watching. Right. Um, I think the score does a fantastic job of like starting out low key and then building real quick. Um, there's a uh, there's a point where um, um, where when we get down to um, the very end and there's only one counselor left. And there's like a slow build uh, score track where it's um, building very, very slow. And it's like as she's putting together that like everybody else is dead. Um, that like it's it starts to um, like it starts to build up. So, yeah, Annie is the uh, the one from uh, the Annie is the one that gets killed first. Alice is the one who lives to the end. Yes. Uh, so as Alice is is waking up and slowly realizing that that like everybody's gone, like she's like she wakes up from her little nap, and which first of all is like a super knowing what we know and she doesn't know. It's pretty uh, dreadful um, that that she wakes up and everybody's dead, but she has no idea. And so as she's like walking around trying to find everybody. Um, trying to find anybody and the music's like slowly building. And then as she starts discovering everybody, like one after the other, after the other, and it starts ramping up really quick. And as she's getting more freaked out, the music starts picking up. It's, it's so well done. 
and I think the score doesn't get enough credit. Like uh, when when people are talking about the movie, I think the score does not get enough credit. Yeah, and it does. I mean, it does something that in Scott. I, mean, I want to kind of go back to what you were saying. Like, it helps build tension. Which, if, if you don't pay attention to, like, if you don't notice music and stuff, like, does it affect you that way, or are you just sitting there, kind of like doled out, like, huh? She sure is finding all those dead bodies. Wish there was something <laughs> to tell me it was getting more intense right now. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean. I guess <laughs> I, I was I was watching it, and she gets up from her nap, and when when that scene came up, I'm like, oh, okay, she's the only one left. Mm-hmm. And of course, going into this time, I, I know she survives because I've I've seen the movie once mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, I'm I'm like, oh hey, now she's figuring out somebody's dead. Okay, cool. Yep, she's going hysterical. Yep, she's screaming. Okay. That's, now what? That's very interesting <laughs> to me. Like you know, the music doesn't register with you. No, I'm not at all. Wow. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. How is that a thing? You are, <laughs> you are talking to somebody who is about as musically inclined as an armchair. Okay. Uh. Music does nothing for me. I, I have never been emotionally, uh, um, uh, what, what do you say? Invested I've never had an, music? I've never had an emotional reaction to a piece of music ever. Really? Never. What? Gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I listen to music and I, all I hear is I hear notes. I, I've got music I like, you know, I hear some, oh, hi, I like this Do song. you? Yeah, yeah, I do. How is that possible then? I mean, I, I like the, some music. I like the stories that it's telling. Uh, some music, I just, I, I guess the, I, I don't know. I like it. Uh, I don't know what I like about it. Uh, once again, never, never, ever had an emotional response to a piece of music ever in my life. Nothing. Wow. But then again, I have emotional responses to very few external stimuli. All right, so we're going to change the topic of this show. <laughs> we're going to try and break yeah. this down. Yeah, this is this is so fucking weird to me. Yeah, this is real weird. Sorry, uh, I, I, my brain is wired in a very weird way. I know. Yeah. Well, that's why you're one yeah, of us. You know, one thing when it comes to the music, though, that I did not like about this movie, and this is something that I think movies in general, for me, have a problem with, and I wish they would cut it out, is the sound mixing. Because literally all the dialogue and everything is nice and low, blah, blah, blah. And then when the music does kick in, it's blaring. And I'm like, crap. And I'm searching for the remote, trying to turn it down so that this loud screeching noise is not distracting me from what I'm watching. Okay. I've never heard anybody uh, talk about the sound mixing for this movie before. So I I can't be friends with Scott anymore. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Buddy, we got 11 movies to go on this. uh, Yeah, we got 11. We got 11 more entries into this, uh, this series. So uh, uh, you guys are going to have to make up somehow. Uh, I don't have to I make guess. up. I'm fine. I, I still love far. him. 
I don't think you're fine with anything if you've never had an emotional reaction to any type of music before. You fucking I'm, weirdo. I mean, you know, I, I like music. Um, I've got several songs, you know, I've got music on my phone. I, I, but I don't listen to music a lot. Like in my car when I'm driving or whatever, I listen to music very rarely. Most time I, uh, I listen to audiobooks. Like I would so, say so 90% of the time. You've never had a, a moment where like you, you hear a song and it, it transports you back to another place like a memory that you have when you either first heard that song or something else where, um, you know, you hear it and you just like, it, it, it just like washes over you like that. Uh, not the way you're describing it. Okay. I mean, I, I hear music and if it's, if, if it's music that is tied to an event of my past, then, yeah, I mean, you know, it it triggers the recollection of that RNA sequence, but uh, and I remember the events, but I, I, it doesn't make me happy, sad, nostalgic. It's more like, oh yeah, that happened. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Okay. Well, this was the Friends with Benefits yeah. podcast. Now it's ex-friends with no benefits whatsoever. <laughs> Aww. That's it. Um, Scott, you did one episode and ruined us. Yep. <laughs> this this series is now over. Uh, we're just not going to do it on that at all. We're just done now. Well, in that uh, case, can we play some music that I can remember here later and remember this, this moment? Once again, it won't be an emotional response, but I'll remember. Oh, yeah, that happened. Well, before uh, before we're just going to move on from music because this is this is obviously a sore spot. And before we get to Sorry. something that could be in our next category, and and Koran does something crazy, let's talk. <laughs> let, let's let's talk uh, gore effects. Let's talk. Let's talk special effects. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with the uh, the uh, the appearance with production value as it gets. As, as, as you increase the definition, but, uh, it's important to note that, uh, I know everybody knows this, but, um, uh, effects of this movie done by Tom Savini, uh, the man noted, the man noted for, uh, being a, uh, combat photographer in Vietnam. Um, and so that's how he was that, that, that's the standard that he held for his makeup effects was if it was good enough uh, to pass as a war like war photograph, uh, then it was good enough to be considered his work. Uh, so obviously a high bar. Um, I think the the effects are they they hold up really well. Um, visual impact, like visual. Um, like whether they like look fake or not. Um, I think the, the impact of the kills, I think is still, it's the, uh, almost all of them still hold up. Uh, the one thing that I noticed this time and I actually like took real note of uh, is the, the amount of kills that are off screen in this movie. Cause there are quite a few. 
You mean the actual like impact of whatever? Yeah, like or? like like Ned goes into the cabin, and then the next time you see him, he's dead on the top bunk. Okay, uh, yeah, like, yeah. like you, have, you, have, yeah. you have several kills that are that are off screen. Um, the two kids in the beginning, um, you know, the one has, he has the little reaction, like he's stabbed with something. Uh, and then the, the, the girl is, is, it just, you know, fades to white, flashes to white. Uh, so you have, you have several more off screen kills than I remember. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting for a movie that kind of, um, touts the gore. And a series that kind of touts the gore as we get further on into it. Uh, this one had a, had several off-screen, you don't even see it happen kind of kills. And I thought that was interesting. It's a, it, it's a great way, of course, to, to, to uh, um, save on your budget, obviously, you know. Because you don't need the, uh, you, you've you've got shots of them before, and then you do the makeup, and you have shots of them after. You don't need to uh, do whatever effects you would need to do to have the actual kill itself. It just seems like it would be a cheaper way to do it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's. But the, but then they do go all out for uh, one of my favorite kills in the movie. But should I wait? Uh, should I bring that in now? We'll, we'll do we'll do favorite kills uh, at the end of of this section. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm um, when it comes to the uh, the gore effects and uh, like just the special effects in general. Um, yeah, I was. Um, I, I think my if I could say it in a tagline, it was. Um, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, this movie had a lot of had a lot of really good, gory in your face kills. But then, like when I'm watching it, I'm like, it's kind of tame with like what it shows, with a couple of exceptions, with just a couple of exceptions. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I I kind of felt like the the amount of gore in it. And the the special makeup effects and stuff in it was not as much. Um, it was not as much as as in other entries into the series or even movies around that time that were trying to, you know, emulate Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. So it's in this weird middle ground. Yeah, given what we eventually become used to as far as amount of gore, there is not a lot of gore in this movie. Um, but what you do see is is is, is very very nice, uh, very gory. Um, the wounds and stuff look great, and I'll be honest, I did not know because I love Tom Savini, I love his his work, but I did not know he was a, a, a photographer in Vietnam, and that yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I'm trying to to find his actual, see if you can find his actual wartime photographs. Oh God, no! Don't do that to yourself. Why? Like, okay, like it's one thing. Like I can watch these movies all day. And be like, yeah, I know it's makeup effects and stuff. I could never go through the Tom Savini Vietnam photo no. album. Like, ever. Like, 
Okay. Ever. Okay. I couldn't. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to fuck up my day that badly. <laughs> like, as you're eating spaghetti, you're flipping through the Vietnam photo album that's just like, no, I couldn't do it. Um, but um, we'll go through, we'll do, um, uh, you want to do uh, favorite and least favorite kills? We'll do least favorite kills first. Um. Uh, my least favorite kill was um, was Annie uh, because on one hand it was oh no 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 I take that back my least favorite kill by far was Brenda um, I thought that whole sequence was terrible uh, I thought the whole uh, where Mrs Voorhees throws her voice and pretends. Uh, to be a kid that needs help and draws her out to the archery range where then she gets killed. Uh, I thought that whole sequence was awful, not just because later on Mrs. Voorhees does the same voice, but it sounds completely different. It just sounds like her raising her voice just a little bit. But when she's pretending to be a kid, it sounds like a legitimate kid. Um, but I thought that was real stupid. I thought Brenda was a better character than that and deserved a better death than to be lured out in the rain, have the lights turned on, and get hit with the arrow like a chump. Um, yeah, least favorite kill by far, Brenda. Wait, did she actually get hit with the arrow? Because I don't remember seeing her get shot with no, an it, arrow when it, I watched it last night. No, like it, it, like it cuts off, but like it's it's implied later that um, well, that she was hit. See, all I saw, and Brenda's my least favorite kill as well, uh, but for a little bit different reason. So I, when I watched it last night, and I don't know if I got distracted at the wrong moment or something, but she she's lured out to the archery range, and the floodlights come on. You know, and she's, ah, this isn't funny anymore. And then then we cut, you know, and, and we're back with Alice and and – uh, what's his name? Being Crosby's son, um, Harry Crosby. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, in the cabin, she says, "Yeah, now the archery lights are on," and blah blah blah. But I don't remember her actually getting shot, and I and and it pissed me off when we do see Brenda again, because first of all, she's she's out at the archery range at the beginning of the movie, and uh, old dude shoots the arrow at him or at her. You know, of course, missing her and ha ha ha. And then later uh -huh. she's lured back out to the archery range. But in my opinion, the quote unquote arrow kill is Harry when he's arrowed to the door. And I'm like, wow, why are we foreshadowing the, the whole archery arrow thing with Brenda and then using it on Harry? And then Brenda's thrown through a window. And while the gore makeup may look great, there's no obvious sign of a kill method there. She's just tied in a rope and she's got some. You know, like wounds. So I, I, I was confused. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know why she's dead. So, I don't, I don't. It's, it's not obvious. I don't see a death wound anywhere. Um, well, that, that's so. that's foreshadowing for the video game where um, if you jump through a window, you're fine. But if you get thrown <laughs> through a window, you're dead as shit. Yeah, that's just how it happens. Uh, you all ready for the hot take of the show? Let's do it. Worst kill in the movie? Yeah. Pamela Voorhees. Really? Um, and it comes down to, it doesn't come down to the actual kill. I think 
It literally just comes down to the fact that it is like you can two million percent be like that is a paper mache head. <laughs> yes, you can, especially on um, That's yeah, and it, it it just to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier. Like the higher quality you watch this in, the the more nitpicky you're going to get to be like, wow, that looks incredibly fake. That looks incredibly fake. Um, you know, it doesn't like. Obviously, it had to happen for the movie. Obviously, it had to happen to progress the story forward. But um, it's just one of those things where, like, the other best example I can think of, have either of y'all ever seen Ringu, like the Japanese ring? No. I have not, no. I've not even seen the American ring. Okay. Uh, Well, when Samara is getting thrown into the well, um, in the Japanese version, her dad comes up and hits her on the back of the head with a log. And it makes the most atypical, like if you had to envision the comic book thwack as a sound, (laughs) that is it. And it just, it takes you out of the movie in the moment. So that was kind of what the Pamela Voorhees thing did for me. But again, and I feel kind of like nitpicky because it had to happen for the story. It had to happen for everything like that. But just from a visual perspective, it kind of takes you out of what you're watching a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, also the amount of shots of um, hands that are supposed to be Pamela, but are actually they have a, a lot of hairy knuckles. Uh, yeah, uh, because they were um, you know production people. Mm-hmm. Um, so hey, she she can have a hormone imbalance. You don't know. I mean, that she might, is definitely yeah. imbalanced. That might be why she's so angry. Uh, exactly. So you know, you never know. Um, but uh, but yeah, it. That's a hot take. Mrs. Voorhees is the least favorite death. Wow. Because that's usually everybody's favorite. Well, much like uh, hedonism, but I apologize for nothing. And you shouldn't. Um, I'll give you a. Uh, I'll give you an interesting take on my favorite kill. Okay. My favorite kill, hands down, is still the one that I I have the biggest reaction to every single time I watch the movie, even though I know it's coming. The setup is perfect. The execution is even better. Marcy's axe to the face. Okay. The axe to the face is still my favorite because for, for several reasons. Number one, the, uh, the, the, the slow build in the beginning of you know it's coming. Um, like you can see it coming and you're just waiting for it to happen. And then she, you know, she pulls back the curtain. Nothing. She pulls back the curtain, nothing. And it does the reverse shot where she's looking there and she's like, well, I guess it's just my imagination. You see the shadow of the axe come in. And then she turns around, boom, gets it in the face, and then it shows it, does not pull away, does not, like, it shows the effect. The effect still looks good. And it just hangs on that shot. It gives me everything I need in a kill. So well done, and I love it. It's easily my favorite kill. It's a fun one. And you, you did say it was out of left field when we were talking earlier. I'm glad yeah. you held on to that one and didn't give me any uh, sneak preview of it. No, that one, um, you know, that one is, uh, um, you know, a lot of people, it, get, it gets kind of forgotten. Um, so it does get kind of forgotten. Uh, mixed up in the, uh, cause there are a couple other, um, 
there are a couple other high profile kills that usually top the list rather than the axe to the face, but I like it. Speaking of <laughs> high profile ones, uh, since I used one of them as one of my least favorite, yep. um, we'll go with the other one, the Kevin Bacon, like laying in bed, hand grabs him by the hair and then just getting stabbed through the back of his throat where the blood starts pouring out. Uh, still to this day, much like you were just talking, holds up 40 years later. Uh, his body might look a little off color as compared to the rest of his skin, but, or his face, but, um, it just, it, it's Savini doing his master work, like, and kind of sets the bar for some of those like bloody kills down the line, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's the one I will tell you a story about that. Uh, so the, when I was a kid, we had a, um, we had a store home vision video and I I would always go, you know, the, the forgotten VHS rental heaven is, uh, is what it is. And so I would go immediately to the scary movie section and just look at all the covers. And what I would try and do every time is I would try and trick my parents by like finding a movie or two and then sandwiching a scary movie in between. And I would try so that I could rent it and not have them, you know, raise any red flags. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I just got a couple movies, you know, a couple, you know, nothing to see here, whatever movies. And so I, one week I managed to, to sneak in Friday the 13th. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch this. This is going to be awesome. Um, you know, I was at that age where I thought I could handle scary movies. Probably couldn't because I still can't. Um, and so my mom, we get home. It's it's my dad and, and me. We go. We get home, and my mom's like, oh, what'd you guys get? And I'm like, oh, shit, 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 oh, shit. And she's going through me. She's like, what's this? She pops open the VHS case and I'm like, oh dear God, like she's like a bloodhound. Like she found the one that I was like, please don't. She pops the, the, the tape into the VCR and it comes up and it's the scene where like literally the tape starts because the person didn't rewind it. It's the point where Kevin Bacon like touches his forehead and looks and sees the blood the person's hand comes out and the arrow goes through the neck. My mom goes, nope, hits eject, <laughs> puts it back in the case. Literally, I never saw that tape again until it was time to bring them back. And I looked in that house to try and find it. Like, she took it and she hid it somewhere. I have no idea where it was, where it ended up. But she, yeah, she did. It was like, boom, and it's like, da 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 And she goes, nope, puts it in the case. I never saw it again. When we went to go bring them back, my dad's like, all right, we got to bring the movies back. And it's like the top tape. And I'm just like, motherfucker. Like, she hit it so well, she wouldn't let me watch it. So that's my nice. uh, that's my Kevin Bacon Friday the 13th uh, story. <laughs> uh, it would be It would be several years before I would watch my first Friday the 13th movie. Um, and it was not that one, but, uh, yeah, so that one, um, had an impact on my mom at least. Cause yeah, I would say so. Couldn't have started it like early on in the movie when nothing was happening, you know, just like a camp movie. Couldn't, uh, couldn't have had another like non 
you know, violent part. It had to be the part where the arrow comes up through Kevin Bacon's neck. Can't, can't be anything benign. It has yeah. to be the most bloody, one of the bloodiest things in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Can't be benign. has to be benign and a half. <laughs> That's a joke for, for two right there. It is. <laughs> yeah, benign. Benign and a half. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your top kill, Scott? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to agree with with Koran, uh for a little bit different reasons, but Kevin Bacon's kill is my favorite of this movie. Um, partly because, well, I mean, you actually get you know blood and gore and his reaction, and the, the arrow coming up. It's just it's just great. Uh, the the axe to the face is a good one, um, but. Like all the other kills that you actually do see some kind of a kill on camera, at least some kind of an attack. Uh, the the reactions, like the reaction of what's her name in 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 the shower, is she doesn't try to defend herself in any shape, form, or fashion. She's just like she throws her arms out wide. And she's like no, and it's not even that great of a no. It's just like please don't kill me. Ah. And then we have the axe to the face. It's like, uh, okay, she's not going to try and run. She's going to not even put her hands in front of her. No, no defensive, nothing. Okay, cool. No, she's scared, yeah. man. She's scared. Huh? She's scared. She can't help it. She's frozen in fear. Yeah, humans don't work that way. Uh, hey, hey, human, fight, humans don't work that way. Fight or flight. She did not and choose she, to fight. She froze and, instead. It's the third act. And she did. And she did neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she did froze. not fight or flee. She, she froze. Yeah. She she stood there and said, "Please don't <laughs> kill me." Ah. You know. So uh, Kevin Bacon's he he's completely unaware of it. You know, uh, the, the the hand coming up. It's the most creative kill of this movie, in my opinion. You know, because through you know up through the. Uh, through the mattress, through the neck, it's just, it's just great. Uh, the blood pooling, um, but yeah, that, that's 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 my reasoning why I like this one the most is because of all of the unrealisticness, it's the most, the closest to realistic, I guess, of reactions. Yeah, it's a great misdirection too because you think that the the real threat is above because you see Ned's body and he's dead above them, but really the threats below. So as the action is happening above, you're not expecting anything to come from below, which is the, the real creative genius of it. Like that's the best part is, um, you know, you, it, it's a complete misdirection in the best possible way. It's magnificent. It's great. I wish Kevin Bacon gave more of a shit about the franchise because I would love to hear him talk about it, but he never talks about it. He has disowned it, like, completely. Uh, Should we go punch him in the face? I think we should. Um, Into it. I mean, he showed his butt for this movie. The least he could do is talk about it. Um, Oh, yeah. Also, by the way, um, you mentioned it before. Uh, Scott, early on about the level of acting quality in this yes. movie. The thing that I like about this movie in particular is that almost all of the actors are, you know, 
theater trained off Broadway actors. Yes. And you get a sense of this is before they had, you know, the uh, a lot of the tropes, which I'm going to ask a question about this here in a second. But, you know, you don't have the jock, the, you know, the the, the, the token black guy, the the sports athlete, the, yeah, the nerd. Archetypes. Right. You don't have, you know, the slut. You don't have any of those that like everybody's just kind of like real people, like everybody's kind of multidimensional. Um. And I think that lends itself a lot. This is one of, I think, two or three movies where I'm rooting for the kids. And, like, I want to see the kids live because I, 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 I have some level of attachment to all of them. Because in this one, more than just about any of them, they feel like real people. And I think part of that is based on their theater training background. I think that lends a lot. They're not movie actors. They're theater actors. And I think you notice a huge difference in the quality of acting and interacting in the first one versus any of the rest of them. I, I had actually I'd forgotten that they were they were. Uh, culled from uh, the New York uh, theater scene. Yeah, but yeah, that is a, that's a good point. Um, I didn't even think about it when I was when I was bringing up the, the quality of the acting because uh, the acting does does hold you in whatever scene they're in. You know, they they hold your attention. Yeah, not, I mean, not anything else. You know, Marcy's their job. Marcy's speech about uh, you know her dreams about the rain turning to blood, like. In in later movies, if one of the actresses had tried that, I would be like, "That's cheesy as shit," and <laughs> like that's that that's that was very poorly done. That just sounded bad with her because she's got kind of that that monologue training from the theater world. Like it's it's more captivating than it is off putting, uh, which is the best compliment I can give it. But. It leads me to a question that I thought of Ned in this movie. He's kind of the, uh, the, he sets the tone for the, the jokester, the prankster character type going forward. Uh, so Ned supposed to kind of be the jokester. He's the guy that, uh, you know, pretends to drown. Uh, he's the guy that dresses as the, uh, we'll say native American as, uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 the completely useless piece of shit cop shows up, which is me and Victor Miller agree that that scene is one of the dumbest, most useless scenes in the movie. Uh, that character is stupid, should never have been in the movie, but here's my question. Ned is Ned funny. Is he a funny guy? Is he a, is he a fun, funny guy? I would say yes. I would I would hang out with Ned partly because I'm friends with a Ned. Uh, and, so you're uh, hanging out with him based on name alone? No, 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 no. I mean, Ned is uh, in uh, yeah, 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 form yeah. of behavior. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm friends with. Uh, 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 I guess you would call him a, a manic type personality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great guy. He's very fun. He is funny. Um, 
I can when I see that movie and I watch the Ned scenes, like uh, you know when he's uh, when he's in uh, the truck, you know, and they're 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 driving in the Native American scene, and, and just generally as um, I see uh, my other friend uh, because he and, and I know why they're hanging out with this guy. He, he's just a a, a fun loving and, and nice guy. Um, uh, he might go a little over the top sometimes. Um, but if he's anything like my buddy, he just needs to discover the, the, the benefits of marijuana. Uh, and that will just, uh, that will even him out and make him a normal person because that's, that's the way it is with my friend. He is, he's huge over the top, uh, until he gets some THC in him and then he becomes normal. Is this the same? Are you talking about me? (laughs) No, 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 no. Okay. Is this the same buddy that can't do math? No. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. You've never met this friend. Okay. Um, Well, because you know Ned, you're you're right. Ned does kind of go over the top sometimes with the um, you know when he shoots the arrow um, with Brenda at the archery range uh, where he pretends to drown. Um, He does kind of go overboard, uh, but also if you notice, like when he does those things, everybody. Like they, they they get mad for a second, but then everybody laughs, and they're like, "Oh, Ned, that's that's our Ned." Um, and I thought that they were going to do something with that and his kill. Um, they do that kind of in part three, which we'll get to, um, because the running question on all of these is going to be: Is the guy that's supposed to be funny actually funny? Uh, spoiler alert! Um, but. Yeah, I think Ned, I think Ned might not be, Ned's not as funny as he thinks he is, but I think he's charming enough that people, people like him and think he's funny. The people who know him and are friends with him, they're fine. If he tried this stuff on people who didn't know him, yeah, he'd he'd be busted in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think he's just charming enough that he can get away with some of the -the over-the-top stuff because people are like, ah, Ned. Um... Also, uh, something that I noticed uh, as we're talking about characters, um, this is the first movie in the franchise where uh, there is a character that has an active conversation with an animal. Uh, Annie asks the dog at the gas station for directions to the camp. The dog barks back and she says, that far. Uh, Keep that in mind. That is uh, movie number one with uh, a character that has an actual <laughs> conversation with an animal. We will revisit that as we progress uh, in this franchise, and it's going to be a, a, a quick bullet point that I think everybody's really going to enjoy as we go forward. But uh, uh, So Ned's funny. Um, Annie can talk to animals. Officer Dorf, he's useless, right? Oh, yeah. Can I branch off of the animal thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Branch off the animal and the the cop because you made the 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 comment that the cop scene is a completely useless scene. It's dumb. I hate it. Yeah, it, it is dumb. I, but I disagree that it's the most useless scene because my least favorite scene in this entire movie, unless we're going to talk about that later. No, no, no. This is we're going from this, uh, and then the next topic is uh, the killer. And then final thoughts, and we're out. So okay. no, no, no. Scene. So 
Yeah, the the most useless scene, in my opinion, and my least favorite scene in this entire movie, uh, and the thing that almost makes me turn this movie off every time I watch it, uh, but I power through, is the snake scene. Oh, yeah. And the reason I hate it so much is because I really dislike it um, when movies uh, do bad things to pets. Now, generally speaking, this is cats and dogs. You know, birds, maybe, stuff like that. Uh, a snake is not generally considered a pet, but I know behind the scenes that this snake was a pet of one of the people on the production, and they actually killed it yeah. on set. And that, that pisses me off. Yeah, The that. scene does nothing to further the story. There's no need for them to do that. Uh, and it just it kills me every time I see it. I hate um. it. I think they try to justify that scene by saying that uh, at that point in the movie, Bill is still a potential red herring for the killer. Uh, so the look on his face after he kills the snake is supposed to make you think that he, if he can kill the snake, then he has the potential to kill the other counselors and it could be him. But when you put it, when you combine Steve Christie, crazy Ralph and Bill, you don't need another red herring. So I agree. I, I don't like it. I, I don't like that scene either, um, especially knowing that it's a real snake. Like, how hard is it to, to buy a, a rubber snake? Yeah. Like, any or, any Kmart in, the, in 1979 could get you a rubber snake. Or if only somebody could have come up with the idea of creatively doing a lot of kills, I don't know, off camera. Uh, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree with you. I I do not. Uh, I I think that detracts, especially if you know that it was a real snake that they killed. Yeah, um, I think that's like if it was a prop snake, I think it would be different. I think you would feel different about it if it was a prop snake, um, and you knew that it wasn't a real snake. But knowing that it's a real snake. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think I'm, I'm with you. Like it does change it. Cause it does make it more uncomfortable knowing yeah, that it so was it somebody's pet. Um, anyway, I agree. But, um, so in further entries, we're going to do, this is going to be, um, this, the, our final critique category is where we will um, we will break down the appearance, mannerisms, and just overall effectiveness of Jason. See, Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. And in this movie, as we know, Jason is not the killer. So we're going to run into this a couple times in this series. Whoa, spoilers. Yeah, and instead you have a... A 54, I believe, thank you, Scott, uh, a 54, yes. 54-year-old Betsy Palmer playing Mrs. Voorhees. So how effective is is it to have a 54-year-old female killer? I was going to say 54-year-old lady killer, but that sounds like a different, different kind of movie. It, it does. That's a different, yeah. Especially. Tom, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's Tom Hanks in the remake of that, actually. Um, <laughs> especially with knowing the kills that we get and, like, Mrs. Voorhees hoisting 
Bill up with the arrow through the eye or, or you know, killing Ned, all this stuff. Like how wielding the axe to the face of, of Marcy, uh, holding Kevin Bacon Jack's head down while shooting the arrow through his neck. Like how how satisfied are you with Mrs. Voorhees as the killer? Um well personally that's that's the one thing I I, I love about this movie is I, I guess you could say, and I've heard other people say it, that between Halloween and this movie, these two kind of kick off the whole, you know, 80s slasher horror genre type thing. Yet this is the only one with a with a female antagonist, with a female killer. I, I don't know of any others that have a female killer off the top of my head that I'm aware of. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I mean, there's like... Um... Uh, like the, like some of the knockoffs, like I know April Fool's Day, which is different, but it's like set up by the girl. Like, yeah, uh, a female killer is very rare. Yeah. And so I, you know, first of all, second, second of all, she's never, she's not on camera until like what, a minute before the reveal. So she's not even, she's not even mentioned. She's not even a considered you talk about they they had set up other red herrings of who could be the killer, um, but the one who is the killer is not even on screen. She doesn't come into the movie until Act Three. In fact, she's the beginning of Act Three, as far as I know. Um, so I loved it, uh, and and then you know because she's completely normal, and then we have the reveal, and then as Alice slowly starts to realize she's the killer, she slowly starts to go more and more crazy on us. Yeah. And then, and then we get the full on, uh, 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 shit. I can't remember his name. Uh, Bates. No, you get, we get the full on reversal Bates. Norman Bates yeah. thing going on here, you know, where she's talking for Jason and she's talking to Jason. And uh, that is my favorite. I love that whole sequence. It's fun to watch her like, you know, circle that, that crazy drain. Like where, where like you remember, <laughs> you remember at the beginning when, um, Enos, the, uh, the sex offender truck driver, um, <laughs> who's like a Ugh. super perv, like creepy, um, when he says, you know, uh, kid drowned in 58, uh, you know, this stuff happened in 59, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, oh shit, like that, um, you know, that is that's the mother of that kid that he was talking about in the beginning, like for a low budget movie, there is a lot of, of forethought into the plot steps and the story oh, yeah. behind it. Like it's so much deeper than I think it gets credit for. And you know, there, there are theories out there that like, Oh, Mrs. Voorhees couldn't have done all of this by herself. And, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it, it does lend itself that like I, I think one of the biggest clues of of the identity of the killer is um when Steve Christie gets killed. Because when he's walking back and he gets to the sign and you know he sees somebody and he says and I still use this line to this day where he uh, he recognizes them and he says he's like, Oh hi what are you doing out in this mess? And it's like, you realize, okay, it's a familiar face 
it's not somebody like the Jason we get later on that's going to, you know, terrify somebody. Like he's trying to have a communication with this person. He's trying to have a conversation with this person. So it's somebody that he knows and feels comfortable with. And so when she shows up immediately, you know, my radar goes up because I'm like, well, she's just non-threatening enough to be threatening. As weird as that sounds like she is non-threatening enough that like, and here's the other thing that I noticed. I looked for this specifically this time. So when Ned is being a creeper and is watching, uh, Jack and Marcy before he goes off to his cabin to probably rub one out and go to bed. Um, and he's, we've all been there. Well, you know, uh, he's the ducky (laughs) in this, uh, in this whole situation. He's the ducky, obviously. Um, but he runs, he like, he sees that cabin and he sees somebody in there and they turn and go back in and you see him for like half a second. You see it like barely and they're blocked by a bunch of like trees and, and stuff. They're in the shadows. But if you watch, you can make out the fact that it's a, it's a person with short hair wearing that teal ish like that, that aqua light blue sweater. And like, I specifically watched it this time to see if I could make out the color of the sweater. And you can, if you're fast enough. So when she shows up and she's wearing that sweater, if you've put it together and you noticed it, you know, it's, it's, it's by that point, it's obviously too late because she's on screen and you know, um, she's, she's here to, to finish the job. But those little touches, I think make it that much more effective uh, you know, she's wearing the class ring, um, just like all these things that like traditionally, uh, either the guy would wear the class ring or the guy, uh, would give his girlfriend his class ring at that time. Like when they, when she would, when she would have been growing up, like that was the thing. So there's like little, little clues. Of course, you're never going to get to. Mrs. Voorhees from any of those, but like on rewatch, you know, you kind of pick them up and, you know, I think it's, it's just such a creative left turn out of nowhere. Yeah. And and it it might, I don't know. The, the, the whole issue is that she might work a little better if, you know, as I said, like 30 seconds to a minute after she's on screen. Yeah. She's the killer. Yeah. (laughs) You don't get time to put it together. Really. As soon as she shows up, it's revealed. And when she says, and today is his birthday, you're like, oh, shit. Because at that point, (laughs) she's got the... And she has this real, like, this great ability just to have, like, this look on her face. Like, this look in her eye that you're like, oh, she's gone. Like, she's turned. Like, she's somewhere else. And, you know, it's, it's awesome. Like, it's so well done. Well worth the $10,000. Yeah, and for what she's on screen, that took 10 weeks? Uh, it, took, it took her 10 days. I thought it was, was it $1,000 a day? I thought it was 10 weeks and $1,000 a week. No, she got she got $1,000 a day for 10 days. Damn. Holy shit. Yeah. Damn. All right, cool. Uh, I, want, but, I want that pay scale. Well, personally, yeah. you know, I think... You can thank Betsy Palmer for Friday the 13th of the series, like all of the movies, because 
obviously the first one makes makes bank it makes great it makes good money and it's it's her performance in my opinion that sells the whole thing everything leading up to it is a great setup but she sells it she solidifies it she anchors the whole thing with her performance well like at the time she was a like a well-known wholesome television actress who was like the motherly character that was like um it would be like if you're a child of the 80s and you, you're a facts of life fan if there was a horror movie and mrs garrett was a killer <laughs> like that's, that's i would love like, to see that like that's the only like parallel that i can make you know right off the top of my head is you know somebody who is known as like wholesome family like never done anything even remotely like horror related uh or anything scary or sinister or anything that's not like appropriate for all ages and so that was one of the reasons why um you know her address got published because it was such a like people took it like personally that she was this wholesome person and if you see her name attached to this poster then you're going to think that it's a, you know, fun family thing to go to and it's safe to bring your kids to and everything. And it's going to be like this fun, warm your heart journey. And instead she's murdering people. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a bit like, uh, that's, that's where the impact I think of, of her being in there comes from. And that's why, it costs so much for her to be in it was be, and, and she only would do it for 10 days uh, because, and I think she's been on record as saying like, I didn't think anyone was ever going to see it. Like I thought it was just going to quietly go away and no one would ever see it. It would make like 50 bucks and then it would be gone. Um, but instead it became this smash hit. And, so, and that might've been the case if she hadn't have been so good. I know. Right. She only has herself to blame. She does. So yeah, it's uh, that that that's a fun story. Um, but no, like her, uh, I think um, the way that they try and uh, deceive you into thinking that it's Crazy Ralph or um, you know Bill at some points or Steve Christie or whatever, um, you know, you have a, you have a few red herrings in there. Um, some people even thought, uh, you know, there are theories out there that they tried to make you think it was Officer Dorf, but I don't I don't buy that one. Um, that's another thing that, that, that killed me uh, when I was watching this time around. This is obviously a small town, you yeah. know. You get that small town kind of vibe, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yet they have two motorcycle cops. <laughs> Unit two. Yeah. 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 Cycle two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. You got two motorcycle cops. Well, okay. what if what if they only have motorcycle cops? Like they don't have cop cars. But they only have no. motorcycles, so they have two. No, there's there's a there's a, there's, there's a oh, yeah, cop at the end, cruiser at, at the end. There's what a couple of cop cars that show up. Yeah, but but that leads me to my second question. Okay, that sequence before we get to final ratings, um, and also Koran, I need you to chime in on how you feel about Betsy Palmer as the uh, Mrs. Voorhees as the killer, because um, I don't think you've chimed in yet. It was a good reveal. Um, it was fun. Like 
like you guys have touched on, I really do wish they'd kind of introduced her a little earlier on as opposed to first time you see her. She goes crazy within like 45 seconds and it's like, oh, okay, so this person we haven't seen at all is the killer. Um, Just a little earlier, yeah. Yeah. But even, I mean, we're talking, she could have just been in like one scene and you could have like seen her talking to someone and like the background things. It's like, well, yeah, blah, blah, blah. My son's birthday's coming up. And just some small level of foreshadowing like that. Uh, But overall, great. And that creepy thing where again she starts talking to herself and she's like and today's his birthday it's like oh uh. like that's the heebie-jeebie no that's the orgasm sound I, i'm, I'm yes. talking more heebie-jeebies. Uh. no no uh. either one whatever works right. yeah. whatever works that's what i say when i get scared which is also when i orgasm never mind well you know you you bring up an interesting point of them putting the putting her like in a background someplace earlier in the film if she had been in the background in the diner, you know, wearing the blue sweater, maybe with her hand on the it, it, it completely visible with the, the class ring on, you know, when what's her name comes in asking for Camp Crystal Lake, that would have also explained a lot more the whole everybody stopping and looking at her like, oh, my God, moment, you know, because they know she's she's in the diner. Of course, uh, Annie doesn't know because she's not from there. But if they all know that Mrs. Voorhees is in the diner and she asks about Camp Crystal Lake, everybody would be kind of like, shit, don't, 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 shh, shh. we don't talk about that, you know. See, that I would have uh, lend more credence to that reaction. I, I would have uh, preferred her to be in the diner uh, when Steve Christie is there and like he leaves to head back to the camp. And like she's in the back, like I would have liked if she was like in the background, like reading a paper or something. Um, <sighs> Because she's trying to, like, stop him from going back to camp. And she knows he's a loose end out there. Um, well, see, I, I think we would have had a, a an issue with that of how she could be out at the camp 20 miles away doing everything. Then during a rainstorm, get back to the diner in time for Christy to be there and then get back to the camp before he does. I mean, she's be flying all over the place. At that point. See, she knows the shortcuts cause she's lived there forever. He's an out of towner and he has to go by the regular roads, but she knows the shortcuts because she's a, she's a townie. Yeah. She's a townie. Um, you're a townie. Uh, that's true. Uh, so, okay. The end sequence, uh, as we're wrapping it up, uh, the end sequence, uh, where, you know, um, Alice is in the canoe and, uh, the cops are coming. The cops are finally there after she's beheaded Mrs. Voorhees in Koran's least favorite kill in the movie. Uh, she's out there. <laughs> everything's fine. The music's playing. The, you know, everything's great. Uh, and then Jason comes up out of the water and grabs her. We then go to the hospital. Um, that sequence, dream or reality? <sighs> Ooh, I reality. Vote, I vote dream. Yeah, my vote's dream as well. Uh, I feel as though if the cops were on the shoreline waving her in and waving to her, they would have seen a kid come up out of the lake and drag her under. And somebody would have mentioned it. Instead of saying, we didn't find any boy, they wouldn't. he would have said, uh, yeah, we didn't find that kid that pulled you under the water. Um, I feel like that part is a dream. Well, that and also, 
keep in mind, Jason Jason drowns in 1957. This movie takes place in 1980. Um, you know, that's that's 23 years. Well, supposedly, it takes place on Friday the 13th, present day. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate about when that movie happens. I always took um, it to mean the, the the present day of when the movie's released. Because here's the thing. I will break this down for you, and this will uh, – I'll, I'll give you the quick version because this is going to be enough to give you an ice cream headache. Okay. Okay. So Friday the 13th in June does happen in 1980. Okay. Uh, so potentially plausible. Uh, okay. According to the uh, National Weather Service, uh, that week of June – there was no rain, but there was in 1979. Okay. But the only Friday the 13th in 1979 that's close is in April. In Friday the 13th Part 4, Pamela's tombstone lists her year of death as 1979. Okay. Uh, and I can see that because the movie comes out in 1980. It was, it was probably made, shot in yeah. 1979. Yeah. It was made yeah. in 79. And I got no problems with that. It, but even if it's 1979, that's 22 years right. later. Jason would be, you know, close to 30 if it was real. He, he wouldn't still be a kid that, that looks like a burn victim at the bottom of a lake. But yeah, you know. he's mongoloid. Um, yeah, I, I vote that it's dream. Uh, I, I, vote, I think that just that part is a dream. I think that, like, you know, she beheads her, she passes out, she wakes up in the hospital. I think that part's reality. But I think that part in the middle, like where she's on the lake, I think that's a dream. I don't see how it can yeah, yeah. not be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and the hospital's reality. We're yeah. back to reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Y'all wrong. No. Y'all wrong. No. Uh, Make your make your case for why it's reality. Because. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll um, uh, we'll pick that up later on in the series because we will revisit that um, because that uh, that discussion is going to come up again. Uh, now, what we'll do the very end out of five out of five. You want to do out of five machetes? We'll do a, a rating. Yeah. Uh, out of five machetes, what do you rate Friday the 13th, 1980? Scott, you're our guest, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you're our guest friend with benefits. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Out of five machetes, what do you give Friday the 13th, part one, 1980? Overall, as a whole. I give it two and a half. Damn. Hmm. Very middle of the road. All right. Middle of the road. Any particular reason why? So I love this movie's third act, as I've said, because I love Betsy Palmer once she's on screen and everything. Everything leading up to that, uh, I think, drags a bit, and I get a little bored going through it because we don't you know very very few kills on screen a lot of it happens off screen so the pacing of the movie all the way up to that point is just a little no I'm wrong you know once once we get to the end I'm, I'm all in but uh when it comes to horror movies and the slashers and the friday the 13th i i find 
there's there's ones later in the series I enjoy more. Uh, when I think Friday the Thirteenth, my I don't I don't reach for number one. I, I just don't. Okay. Okay. So, Koran. Three and a half machetes. Three and a half machetes. Okay. Three and a half. Any specific reason why? It's one of, because uh, they're, like, if I think of a lot of 80s franchises and a lot of, like, 80s slasher ones, there are a lot of ones where the first entry, not that great. And this one is, um, especially compared to, like, some of the other ones and especially compared to some others, 80, 80s slashers. Uh, the only one I can think of off the top of my head right now is because you were talking about it earlier. April Fool's Day. I hate that movie so much. Um, and this was like, it, it was refreshing and I, I, plus it's still like, it just has that creep factor and it just feels like, it's like watching that horror movie feels like a time capsule and it feels like it takes me home. <laughs> so part of it's the nostalgia and part of it is just the fact that it is a very good first outing for what became a very lucrative franchise. Yeah. Grew up on a lot of murder laden summer camps. Did you <laughs> grew up doing a lot of drugs and watching a lot of horror movies, man. Yeah. Simpler time. Fair enough. Simpler Fair enough. Time. As far as opening entries to franchises go, this one was much better than Halloween. Oh, wow. That's uh, going to be something I, that we're going to have to talk about later. Holy yeah, crap. Yeah, that's I, bold. I'm, I'm, yeah, not, not a fan of that movie at all. Damn. Okay. I'm staring at my microphone because I can't believe that bullshit wow. just left your mouth. But that's a that's an argument for another day. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we will cover my line of reasoning some yeah. other time, yeah. Um, I consider, uh, as I said before, I consider Friday the 13th, the original, one of my favorite movies of all time. I know it has, uh, some, it takes some missteps. Uh, I know it's not perfect in any, by any means, but it's fun. It's, I hesitate to use the word, but it's a lot more artistic for a horror movie. Um, just because, at that time, the quote-unquote slasher genre was not a thing. So it gets to – it takes until probably part three to get to what you think of as a traditional slasher movie. Um, that being said, I think it's smart. Uh, I think the acting is light years ahead of where it had any right to be. For that movie, um, Tom Savini's gore effects, with with a few exceptions, still hold up. Uh, still make you cringe a little bit as as you watch them. Um, I think it's very effective as a horror movie, um, and the story behind it um, gives me hope for you know, low budget filmmaking. Um, and yeah, it, it easily rests in my top five. I have a rotating top five, you know, depending on how I feel 
I have five movies that I that are just like at any given point, one of them is my favorite movie at the moment. Um, Friday the Thirteenth is always in that five. Um, easily, I give it five machetes out of five. Easily into it. Um, I can go back and watch. Like I, I treat it differently than I treat the rest of the Friday the Thirteenth movies because it is so different, but. I mean that in the most positive way, especially when we get towards, you know, yeah, towards the end of the run. Um, this looks like a master class, um, (laughs) compared to some of them. Uh, but yeah, easily, easily five out of five machetes for me. So there you have it. Uh, we are, uh, that is Friday the 13th. Part one, in a nutshell, how the Friends with Benefits feel about it. We'll be back next time. Hold on. Don't you jack my... Oh, no, wait. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm going I'm to pass it to you in a minute. Uh, all right. All we'll, right, be, all right. we'll be back next time to talk about uh, the movie that features uh, our dear friend, and I know we say that sometimes jokingly, uh, but dear friend of the show, uh, Steve Dash, may he rest in peace. We'll be talking about his movie, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 2, and the controversy that goes with that. Um, if you would like to hear more of these special long-form uh, special episode series uh, or more bonus stuff, uh, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwb podcast uh we have bonus episodes uh archive uh, 203 episode archive uh the opportunity to suggest topics uh, a whole bunch more uh all of that's waiting for you for as little as one dollar a month uh you know we will give it, it helps afford us to do a lot of extra stuff uh for you so if you like this stuff you want to see more consider donating to that or just give us a like, a share, share us with a friend, uh, tag somebody that you think would enjoy listening to it. Um, just help us, help us grow is all we want. And until then, as always, stay safe, avoid machetes, and remember you can't if you don't ma, ma, ma. And, and thank you for being our friends with benefits. Fuck you, Scott. <laughs>